Hi, welcome back to the Crime Hour. This week we're going to be talking about the one, the only, Ted Bundy. And the reason why I'm covering Ted Bundy was because if you remember last week's episode, um, Danny Rowling, he said that he wanted to be like Ted Bundy. Like that was his idol. So I just wanted to cover Ted Bundy. Um, It won't be a full thing on Ted because if you got to know that, um, you know, Ted was something, right? Like there was just a lot going on with Ted and I, too many victims to really put it together. So, and I don't want to let, I don't want anybody to go through that. You know, I don't want people to just sit there and listen to all these poor victims like you know so I'm just gonna give you a brief summary of who Ted was what he did and maybe list like at least 10 victims out of whatever amount that he had so yeah um let's get into it Theodore Robert Cowell was born on November 24th 1946 to Eleanor Louise Cowell, who just went by Louise. She gave birth to him at a center for unwed mothers in Burlington, Vermont. Ted's father was listed as unknown, although when Ted was growing up, people would often tell him that his father was a man named Lloyd Marshall, an Air Force veteran and a Penn State graduate. Hmm, smart man. Rumors also went around that Ted's father could be a man named Jack Worthington, a war veteran. Some even went to say that his father was his own grandfather. That's disgusting. Um, hopefully none of those are, th- are true. Oh, hopefully the grandfather one wasn't true. But, you know, I think at this point, the father is probably like, thank God I don't associate with him. Like, if you know what I mean, like, I feel like at that point, the father's like, after knowing what Ted did, the father's probably like, oh, it's a good thing he's in it. I'm not in his life, you know? Like, y- you know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, once you get to know the person as like, a serial killer, it's like, you want to change your name. You don't want anything to do with them. Yeah. Because of Louise being unwed and having a baby, it brought a lot of shame to the family because, you know, like back then and like a lot of people were religious. So it was kind of like, oh my God, you know, like, back then they would label you like oh my gosh she's such a slut she had a baby and like she's not even married and she doesn't know who the father is etc so ted was raised by his grandparents and because of that reason and his grandparents actually told him that his mother louise was his sister how confusing later his mother and him moved to tacoma washington how confusing is that? Imagine it's like, oh yeah, so now you're my mom, but you weren't my mom before. You were my sister. That's just too much for a kid. I feel. In 1951, Louise met and married a man named Johnny Bundy, who legally adopted Ted, and that is how he changed his name to Ted Bundy instead of Ted Cowell. Ted never got along with his stepfather, and no matter how many times. Johnny tried to, like, include him into all the family things. Johnny and Louise ended up having four children together. Um, 
but they always try to include Ted in everything, but Ted just didn't want anything to do with him. Um, in Ted's eyes, he saw that Johnny was low class, didn't have an education, he didn't have money or style, so he just, he was like, you're not worth, you know, like, he's like, you're not worth it, etc. At the age of three, Ted had a fascination with knives. He would play or collect all different types of knives. First off, what kind of person lets a three-year-old play with knives? Hmm. And second of all, like, if I had a kid and they're like, oh, can I buy this knife? I'd look at them and be like, what the fuck is the matter with you? Why would you need that? In school, Ted was very smart. He did well in school academic academically, but socially, he had a hard time making friends. When Ted hit puberty in his teenage years, that's when everything just kind of derailed for him. Like, he would just roam the streets, digging through trash, looking for naked photos of women, read true crime magazines, mystery novels, but not because he was into true crime. He did it because he was looking for stories that included sexual violence, especially the ones with pictures of dead or injured bodies. And he was just very fascinated with like death, murder, and all the gory stuff. During Ted's free time, he would sneak out at night and peep into women's windows, watching them undress. Okay, so clearly those are red flags. Real red flags right there. Like, that's a... And first off, I want to know, where are the parents? Where are... How are they going to be like, where are you off to this late at night? You know, like, especially if you had a hard time finding friends, I'd be like, where are you going? And who are you going to be going with? Ted will, will also start to steal items, but he wouldn't feel any guilt for doing any of this. So that's another red flag. This led him to be arrested twice in his high school years, but by the time Ted turned 18, those charges were dropped. Hmm. Wonder why that is. Weird. So after high school, Ted enrolled into the University of Washington in 1966 to study Chinese. Okay, why not? There he meets Stephanie Brooks, or at least that's the name that it was given um, by Ted. Like, that's just what he referred her as. So I'm not sure if that's her real name or just something that she went with. Who knows? The two start to date, and... Ted was attracted to her because she had class, money, and just everything him and his family never had. Later, Stephanie leaves Ted and moves back to California to be with her family. And this is devastating to him because he's like the only person that he's ever been like friends with or had a good relationship with leaves, right? And... Ted was, like, kind of obsessed with her, with her, like, long brown hair, how it was parted down the middle, you know, like, and she was really pretty. In 1968, Ted drops out of school to pursue minimum wage jobs, um, and he also volunteers at the Seattle office for Nelson Rockefeller's presidential campaign, which is pretty good. I mean, like, at least you're trying to make money. At least you're not, like, dropping out and being a bum. Like, he dropped out to try to make money, which is good. 
By the end of 1969, Ted was back in Washington, which is where he met Elizabeth Clofer. The two start to date, and she describes Ted as warming and loving. Hmm, at least he found somebody new. And, you know, at least that's what she thought of him. In 1970, Ted re-enrolled at the University of Washington as a psych major. Huh, that's a good major, actually. He graduated in 1972 with an honor roll and was well regarded by his professors. Oh my god. I know how to say that word. What the fuck? Okay. Anyways, that's really good. At least he went back to school and he actually got something done, right? Like, at least he stayed in school, he became an honor roll student, and he still ended up graduating. He's on the right path again. Ted starts to work at a suicide hotline where he worked alongside Anne Rule. And Anne Rule was a former police officer who later wrote a book about her experience with Ted. And it was called The Stranger Beside Me. Later in an interview, Anne says that she didn't see anything disturbing about him and that she always thought that he was very kind. Hmm. Maybe that's how he he did it, right? Like, maybe that's how he just got away with things. Now, Ted has gotten some confidence over the years, and he's more active in social matters and politics and stuff like that. So many would describe Ted as charismatic, kind, empathetic, and quite handsome. Girls would fawn over him, like, everywhere he went. Oh, so now he knows his charms. In 1973, Ted took his LSAT test and was accepted into the University of Utah for law after receiving recommendations from his professors at UW and a letter from the Republican governor of Washington after working on his campaign. Hmm, Those are really good references. Like, let, let, let... references or recommendations so that's good so that's basically a gist of Ted's life um you know growing up when he went to school his relationships and stuff like that okay so that's the normal part of Ted's life and now I'm going to be talking about some of the murders I'm not going to go into full detail about it because like I said it was just too much going on And I just don't want you guys to sit there and be like, holy crap, if this is what he's doing to one person, imagine all the other people that suffered the same fate. Around this time in 1974, women in Seattle and Oregon started to go missing. Many witnesses would say that the last time they have ever seen these said victims, they were with a man named Ted. Hmm. Ted would often pretend to be injured or pretend to need directions, like he was lost or something, and so he could ask for help, and that was a way um, for him to lure women into his car. He used his charming good looks and his kind personality to gain these women's trust. See, he knew what he could do. Ted would often rape his victims before beating them to death. He would also go back to the bodies after he had killed and disposed of them. Like, 
bury them or whatever the heck he does with them. And perform sexual acts with their corpse. That's sick. That's sick. That is a sick dude. What the fuck? He would continue to do this with their bodies until they were so damaged by animals and stuff that nothing could be done with them. So then he would move on. Again, what the fuck? You sick motherfucker. Twelve of Ted's victims were decapitated. (sighs) I know the word. It's just, I have a hard time saying it. Some of their heads were kept in his apartment for a short amount of time. And he kept them as trophies, as most serial killers do. They would keep something of the victim. In an interview, Ted would say that he got a lot of enjoyment just by touching their heads. And he would say that when he touched them, he felt so much joy. And he was able to relive that moment of when he was killing them, like, in his mind when he was touching That's, ugh. What the fuck is wrong with people? Why? Like, it's bad enough that you already, like, brutally tortured this person, raped them, beat them, and killed them, and then you buried them somewhere. And their poor family's like, I don't know where they went, they're missing. And they're just missing people. But, like, for you to do that, ugh. People will make me sick. So I'm going to start listing off, like, some of the victims. I'm not going to use their names, only because I feel like it's just too much to get into, like I said. Um, so I'm just going to tell you some of some of them, not all of them, okay? First victim, February 1st, 1974, a 21-year-old was bludgeoned whilst sleeping and abducted. Her skull and jawbone were discovered at Taylor Mountain in Sonoma County, Florida. I mean, not Florida, California. Yeah, it was California. Also, side note, Taylor Mountain is very big, okay? It's a national park or something. It's whatever. It's a area where people can go hiking. And I didn't realize until I was doing some research that if you search it up, it's in Seattle and it goes all the way to California. So imagine how big this hike trail park area is. Anyways, yeah, so it was Sonoma County, California. March 12th, 1974, a 19-year-old was abducted as she was walking to a concert Her body was also left at Taylor Mountain, but never found. See, that's the sad part, when you don't even find their bodies anymore. To be able to lay them to rest. That's really sad. April 17th, 1974, an 18-year-old disappeared while attending a meeting at Central Washington State College. Her jaw and skull were found at Taylor Mountain. May 6, 1974, a 22-year-old went missing from Oregon State University. Her skull was found at Taylor Mountain. June 1, 1974, a 22-year-old goes missing after leaving the bar. Her skull also located at Taylor Mountain. 
So those were the ones that were in Taylor Mountain. And now I'm going to be talking about some of the ones that were not in Taylor Mountain, but another area. And like I said, there's a whole bunch more. And it's just, you know, it's just sad. And so disturbing. June 11th, 1974, an 18-year-old was abducted in an alley by the University of Washington. Her skeletal remains were found in Issaquah, a county in King City where there are mountains and a state park, like, at its borders. So, basically, Issaquah is, like, this little town, and at the border, there's, like, different, like, cities, or, like, not cities, like, there's a state park, there's, like, mountains. It's hard to explain, but if you were to Google Issaquah, you'll see it on Google Maps, what I'm talking about. July 14th, 1974, a 23-year-old was abducted from Lake Sammamish. I'm sorry, I can't say that word. It's weird. Sammamish, a state park outside of Issaquah. But her remains were found in Issaquah. July 14th, 1974, a 19-year-old was abducted four hours after the other one that day. Again, her remains were also found in Issaquah. So, yeah, it's, like I said, it's a lot. Fall of 1974, Ted moved to Utah to attend the law school. Coincidentally, women start to disappear in Utah. So in Utah, Colorado, and Idaho, there were nine women linked to Ted. In Florida, there were three women linked to Ted. Man, I want to know, like, these minimum wage jobs, like, how much did he save up? Like, how was he able to pay for the gas to go from one state to the other? Oh, my God. October 2nd, 1974, a 16-year-old was ambushed, assaulted, and strangled in Holiday, Utah. According to Ted, he buried her near Capitol Reef National Park, which is 200 miles away from Salt Lake City, but her remains were never found. Another 17-year-old vanished after leaving school in Bountiful, Utah. Only her kneecap was found. June 28, 1975, a 15-year-old disappeared during a youth conference. Her body was buried near Prince, Utah, but never found. Also, just letting you guys know, like, it wasn't like the only reason why they know about this is because people found their bodies or whatever. It was because a lot of these were discovered because when Ted got arrested, he actually told detectives um, a lot of the victims that were never found. Like, he just started confessing to all these murders. And so a lot of the victims were never found. And if they were found, it was just bits and pieces of their body, like their skull kneecap jaw like their their jawbone is that what it's called yeah and you know like so it wasn't like a full body um so it wasn't enough to really identify a lot of them so the ones that I did list are actually linked to him like for sure but all the other ones are like just bits and pieces though 
because it was just so long ago and, you know, by the time they caught him, you know. And the detectives didn't really have much to work with. There was no other evidence. So, like, they had to trust their... They had to trust Ted's word on it. Because there were no witnesses, nothing. In 1974, Elizabeth, remember Ted's girlfriend? Um, she started to su- suspect that Ted was up to something. Like, she had a gut feeling that something wasn't right. You know when, you know, when you yourself had that gut feeling like, oh... I don't think that's right. Like, just something is wrong. That's what she was feeling. So she starts to snoop around their apartment and she questions Ted on a lot of things that just randomly appear. Like, she'd be like, oh yeah, last week we, you know, like, last week we did just hung out at home. And then this week, you know, I came home from work and there was a TV. Like, where the heck did that come from? You know? So, while she was snooping around, she decided to go through his desk. In his desk, there was a meat cleaver. And she was like, what the fuck? Why is there a meat cleaver in his desk? So, she starts asking him, why the hell do you have a meat cleaver in your desk? And where the fuck did this come from? Or that, right? Like, just objects that was not in the home before. And Ted would use his charm... To deflect the problem. He'd tell her. Everything is okay. You don't have to worry. Like I'm not doing anything. Like don't you worry about it. Right. Like. I'm just trying to. You know. uh, He's like. I'm just trying to. uh, Live with you. And like. You know. Be with you. Like. He reassured her. That everything was fine. She doesn't. not Nothing to worry about. But Elizabeth felt that something just was not right. So she goes to the police with her suspicion of Ted's involvement with all these local murders. And the police doesn't believe her. They are like, uh, yeah, right, Ted. Come on, look at this guy. Everybody loves him. He's charming. He's kind. You know? So they didn't believe her. So instead of leaving him, she decides to stay with him. What an idiot. But anyways, so she decides to stay with him and, but the couple starts to like get distant and because, um, because Ted ends up moving to Olympia, Washington the following year. Man, this guy moves a lot. Like, again, where do you get the money? Like to pay for gas, to go through every state and to be moving all the time? Like, oh my God. I wish I had that kind of money to be able to move whenever I wanted to. So, that was in 1974. In 1975, Elizabeth went to the police again, and this time she went with evidence to show police. Because she wanted Ted arrested. Because she was like, no, I know he's up to something. So, Elizabeth ends up cutting all ties from Ted. And she also ends up writing a book about her experience dating him and being with him. And the book is called The Phantom Prince. Again, with Ted Bundy, there's a lot. Um, like, there's a lot of series like on Amazon there's something with I think it's Elizabeth's point of view of when she was with him people write books there's like Netflix like the one with Zac Efron which was really good by the way but if you're really into like trying to figure out who he is as a person um 
the Netflix one about Ted Bundy, not the one with Zac Efron, but just the documentary, I think it was the best way they could put how Ted was. So if you're interested, I would say give that a go if you're if you really want to know more about him in detail. There's just a lot. Like if you were to search it up, so many things will come up about Ted Bundy. So yeah, so that's you know all some of the victims I listed and now I'm just going to talk about how he got caught and all of that. August 16th, 1975, Ted was driving when he was caught failing to stop at a traffic stop, and he was arrested by a Utah Highway Patrol officer in Salt Lake City. When the officer came up to Ted, he immediately noticed that Ted's car, the passenger seat is gone, which is really rare, because most people, if you're moving or whatever, you take out the back seat, right, to make room for your trunk and everything. And everything in the back. But this one, only the passenger seat was gone. Which is really sus. So, the officer tells Ted, Sir, please step out of the car. So, Ted comes out of the car and the police is looking around his vehicle. And that's when the officer described what he said was, I found a quote-unquote murder kit. It contained a mask made out of pantyhose, a ski mask, a crowbar, a rope, an ice pick, handcuffs, trash bags, and other tools such as hammers and just just a bunch of different tools. The officer asked Ted, why do you have these items, sir? And so Ted's response was, oh, I... They were all at my old apartment and I'm moving into my new apartment. So I'm just, it was just whatever left over. And I just put it in my car and I'm moving them. The officer just, this officer was smart. He was like, what kind of bullshit answer is this? Right? So he gets a good look at the vehicle and then at Ted. And then he remembers that in November of 1974, there was a report of a kidnapping. And that that investigation went unsolved. But in that investigation, he remembers the details. Like, it was a Volkswagen Beetle. It was a man who was really charming. You know, like, he the officer remembered the description of everything. And then he looks at the vehicle and looks at Ted again. And he's like, holy shit. This guy in his vehicle matches exactly to the point. Like, to a T. All, all of that description. So the officer arrests him. But even though he was arrested and taken back to, you know, wherever, jail, or he was put in custody, um, officers go to Ted's apartment and he they try to search. They, they, they search his apartment and they don't find anything. So they're like, okay, this can't be the guy. There's nothing to tie him to them. So that because of that, they had no choice but to let him go. But when they let Ted go, they put him under 24-hour surveillance. During this time, the police interviews Elizabeth up in Seattle. And she tells them before Ted moved to Utah, she came across odd items in his apartment. Like how she found a bag of white dry mixed plaster, crutches, surgical gloves, um, a bag of 
women's clothing, and a meat cleaver. She also tells the police that Ted is in a lot of debt. Like, throughout his whole adult life, everything he's owned was always stolen. Like a TV, a stereo, anything in the home, it was always stolen. He never really bought it because he had no money. When Elizabeth questions Ted, he would respond with, If you tell anyone, I'll break your fucking neck. Like, hello, that's a threat. And good thing that she left him, because what the fuck? And she also tells him that Ted would get very upset whenever Elizabeth considered cutting her hair. Her hair was very long, she had brown hair, parted down the middle. Just the way Ted liked it. But do you remember who else had that kind of hair? His ex, Stephanie Brooks. And it was said that all of the victims, they were pretty. They didn't have the same description. Like, nothing about all of these victims. They had nothing in common except for the fact that they were really pretty. And they had long hair. And it was said that Ted only went after people who resembled his ex. What is what what is up with that? What is up with serial killers just linking it back to an ex or somebody that resembled another person that they didn't like or did something horrible to them? Like what is up with that? I don't understand. Now, after this interview with Elizabeth, police had to tr- retrieve Ted's belongings and they had to get the car, but when Ted was first arrested at the at the stop, that traffic stop, he ends up selling his car to a young teenager because it was the easiest way to get rid of it, right? Because he thought, okay, if I get rid of this, they can't track me down. The police were able to find that said teenager, and lucky for them, the teenager had not cleaned out the car yet. So they retrieved the car, and they did a good search. In the search, they find hair, hair that does not match Ted. So they take it back for forensic testing, and the results come back to three different women. Two were missing, and one was still alive. She had escaped the attempted kidnapping and murder of Ted Bundy. So the police contact this victim who had escaped and asked her to come in to identify the man who attempted to kidnap and murder her. So they put Ted in a lineup with different men with the same description that this victim had given. And immediately, she was able to point out Ted in that lineup. She tells the police that Ted had pretended to be Officer Roslyn, although being charged with attempted kidnapping and attempted criminal assault, Ted was released from jail on bail. Which is stupid. What the fuck? He just attempted to kidnap somebody. You already know this and you still let him out? Why? What's wrong with people? (sighs) this is what gets me in every single case with the police. Like, why? What makes you think they're going to change just like that? Ted was brought, brought back into jail on February 1976 for the case of the woman who had escaped. Later on June 30th, Ted was found guilty and sentenced to 15 years. Yes! Perfect. Now he's captured. 15 years. Think that's the end? No. Ted only remained in prison until October 1976. He escaped prison and made a run for it. Ted was later caught 
hiding in the bushes on prison ground. <sighs> Didn't get that far, huh? That same month, Ted was charged for the murder of a woman in Aspen. He was transferred for the trial, where Ted chose to represent himself in court so that he would not be handcuffed or shackled. Um, first off, I didn't know that you could do that. I didn't know you could represent yourself, even if you did study law or whatever. Uh, I always thought you had to have an attorney. I didn't know that, like, prisoners can just represent themselves. But this was a way for Ted to not be, like, handcuffed or shackled. Which is, I still don't see why they would let this, like, why they would allow this. At one point, Ted had asked to use the law library located inside the courthouse. Once in the library, he noticed a window was left open and he was left alone in that, in this said library. The library is on the second story, but Ted took the chance and he jumped out and ran. He escaped, but he was captured eight days later. Again, he didn't get far, clearly. I don't understand. What is the point of running when you know you're already fucked up? So you running just makes it worse. I don't understand why people run or why people lie. Like, why lie during, like, your interviews or your trials? Whatever. And why try to escape? You're going to get caught and you're going to be in more shit than you already are. I don't know. In December, Ted escaped from the Glenwood Springs Prison in Colorado. He had gotten a hacksaw blade from an inmate and he used it to cut a hole in his ceiling. Like, of his cell. And he started to work out in his cell, like, um, and that way he could lose weight. And he ended up losing more than 30 pounds so that he could fit through the ceiling. He had even practiced climbing through it at night. Ted broke free on December 30th, 1977. He piled books on his bed and put his covers over it to make it look like he was sleeping. Which is, you must be an idiot if you think that pile of books, you know, resemble somebody sleeping. Like, what the fuck? Okay, so. He then broke in, like, so, in this jail or whatever... There's, like, the the chief of jailer. I don't know. I guess, like, kind of like the main guard, okay? They're, they live at the jail, but they have their own little building connected to the jail. So, um, it's hard to explain, okay? But just picture it, okay? Just picture a jail and you have, like, a, a apartment or whatever connected to the jail, but there's a separate entrance, and so, but it's connected, like, ceiling-wise. And so, Ted ends up breaking into that apartment of the chief jailer, and, uh, who was out that night, because December 30th, it was close, it was still around Christmas and New Year's, so there wasn't a lot of guards on site, and the jailer was out celebrating with his family. Which, man, Ted was lucky then. So, Ted broke in, and he stole jailer's clothes put them on and he walked out the front door because for some odd reason they didn't recognize their own freaking prisoner at that prison I don't know 
By the time any of the guards had realized that Ted was gone, he had already been on the run for 15 hours. Wow, they're really shit at their job. This led Ted to commit one of his most brutal attacks. It happened in January 1978. While he was on the run, he made his way to Florida State University sorority house at 2.45 a.m. What the fuck? That's a long drive. Like, okay, so... First off, however he got there, that's a long drive because Glenwood Springs is in Colorado and he made it to Florida. What the fuck? He attacked a 21-year-old with a piece of firewood while she was sleeping. Then he used a stocking to strangle her to death. And once she died, he went to another room and there was a 20-year-old sleeping and he beat her till she was unconscious, strangled her, then tore off one of her nipples Ted then bit her ass. I don't know what was the point of that and assaulted her sexually with a bottle. Ow. What the fuck? Um, Ted then went to the next bedroom and attacked two women who were sleeping and one woman had her jaw broken and her shoulder almost cut off. The other had a broken jaw, broken finger, and some teeth knocked out. All four women were killed and attacked within 15 minutes. What the fuck? And I want to know, like, if you're being attacked, you would be screaming, right? Like, how come nobody heard you? After fleeing, Ted attacked another woman in an apartment on the university grounds. She suffered a broken jaw, dislocated shoulder, and her skull was fractured in five places, but she survived. She survived, but she was also then permanently deaf. Ugh. Ted, 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 why? February 9th, Ted kidnapped and murdered a 12-year-old girl. Okay, this has gone too far. Once you get... Okay, it's already really bad that he did all this to other women, but once it involves a kid, you've gone too far, dude. These were the last of his murder sprees. On February 15th, Ted was pulled over by Florida State Police for the stolen vehicle because he had to drive from Colorado to Florida. They searched the vehicle and found three IDs of the women, of all the women that he just killed, like three of them. 21 stolen credit cards and a television set. What are you going to do with that television set? Like, where are you going to put that? You're caught. You think they're going to let you bring it back to your prison cell? No. In 1980, while in prison, a woman named Carol Ann Boone, who was a mother of two, visited him. In the past, she and Ted had dated, and, like, this was before he got arrested and after Elizabeth left him. In the courtroom, he proposed to her in front of the judge and everyone there, which made it illegal when she said yes. So now they are married, and she can't testify against him. Carol ends up giving birth to a baby girl in 1982 and Ted was listed as the father. I want to know how he got her pregnant when he was in prison. I don't understand this. Like, are you allowed to have your visitor come and you just go into your cell bunk or whatever the heck and you just start doing it? Like, I don't understand. But anyways, Carol then ends up divorcing Ted before his execution. June 1979, Ted stood trial for the homicides and assaults 
at the sorority house. And the only reason why he got caught was because that bite mark that he left on that girl's ass. Yeah, when they, when he got caught again, he had to take, um, obviously they got samples from him, even, I guess, teeth samples. And that's how he got caught. The trial was covered by 250 reporters from five different camp continents, and it was the first one to be pro- broadcast live nationally from the U.S. That's, oh my god. February 10th, 1980, Ted was sentenced to death by electrocution. This wasn't carried out until nine years later, because Ted then started to confess to the detectives in Utah, Colorado, and Idaho, And the only reason why he did that was because he was trying to buy himself more time on death row. Ted ends up confessing to about 36 killings across several states in the 1970s. Although he didn't give, like, official dates of when it all happened of all the other ones. um, Experts actually believe that there could actually be 100 or more victims that he's not speaking about. Which is insane. To go... from state to state and doing this horrendous crime. Ted was put on the electric chair on January 24th, 1989. He was 42 years old. When Ted died, people celebrated with with cheers and signs from all over. People were outside the prison, just all over the world. Everybody was like happy that he died because what he did was like, ugh just horrendous Ted was cremated in Gainesville remember what happened in Gainesville with Donnie Rowling hmm and his ashes were scattered at a disclosed location in Washington State and this is the sum up for like the short version of what who Ted Bundy is and what he did etc Also, Ted Bundy was the last person to be executed, like, by electric, by the electric chair in Florida. He was the last person in Florida. But yeah, so this is the fucked up thing of Ted Bundy. And, you know, he is, of course, seen as one of the most infamous killers in the world. And, you know, somewhere out there, somebody idols him. I don't know why. I I just don't understand the fascination of people being, like, being like, oh my god, um, I look up to Ted Bundy, or I look up to the Night Stalker. Why? Could you not get better idols? Like, could you not look up to other, somebody better? Like, ugh, I just don't understand these people. But anyways, until next time, bye!